coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on the 22nd of May, 2022. Glorify. I don't know what your relationship was like with your father. May not have had one at all. May have had a rocky relationship. Or it may have been a really good one. But remembering mine, I always looked up to my dad. Uh, he was not hard to approach. It was, it was good relationship, I thought, that we had. But it wasn't until later in life that we had some really good conversations. When I was younger, it was, I don't know if it was a matter of admiration that kept him at arm's length that he was dad and I was the kid. But later on, after I'd been in ministry several years, my dad and I started talking about spiritual matters. In fact, he would come and ask me questions, which was a completely different turnaround from the relationship we had before where I would go to him with questions. He was coming and then we sort of had some parody on that level of talking about spiritual matters. And it was very good. We come now in our study on the sermon on, on this upper room discourse to a time when Jesus, as we said, is probably on the move from being in that upper room out to going out to the garden. But he's still teaching and still talking to his disciples. And we come now to what's known as the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Actually, we would better call it would probably be the Lord's Prayer. Now we refer to that when we talk about the instruction that Jesus gave to his disciples. But there's no better place to turn in God's word to see the actual prayer of Jesus Christ with his father. So what we have here is an insight into the relationship between the father and the son. We were talking about conversations that we have, may or may not have had with our fathers and we're old enough, some of us, to have children that have had those kind of conversations or not had those conversations with us, depending on what kind of relationship we have. But we get to look at the relationship between the father and the son. Right away, we could say, if there ever was a good relationship between father and son, this would be it. The son and the father, right in tune. There is certainly parody as far as 
understandings, goals, directions, all those kind of things. And we see the two of them linked up now in a conversation. We're seeing this from Jesus' words as he speaks then in John 17. And I want to take just the opening words of this prayer for our time together today. So we're looking at verses 1 through 5. I want to thank Tom for reading. Good to have you back. And, uh, and I want to read this to you again, but I want you to notice, notice one word, and it's in your notes, so it shouldn't be any surprise to you, it's the word glory. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, now, usually when we pray, what do we do? We bow our heads. Not to say that that's a wrong position and Jesus' position was the only right position, lifting up his. But we see that he lifts up his eyes to heaven. And he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh and, have, and to give eternal life to, to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they who know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So he's talking about the, the matter of being glorified. What does it mean when we talk about glorifying? I want to give you two thoughts that I had this week, and I hope that they are helpful to you. Because it's a word that we can easily toss around to glory, glory, and glorify. What, you know, and we can say those words sort of like, praise the Lord. And what does that mean? What does it mean to glorify God? A word came to mind that sort of unlocked it for me, and that's the word to magnify. To magnify. When I thought about what that meant, it, it has a couple senses that I think fit with the idea of glorification. One is focus. Get out a magnifying glass. What do you do? You use that magnifying glass to see some more detail, to get in close, and, and your attention is drawn to one particular place. So the first part of glorification is focused attention. We're not looking at the big picture anymore. We're focusing at one particular thing. But that having been said, when we magnify something, we make it bigger. 
And so the flip side of that focused attention is expansive adoration. Expansive adoration. So when we glorify God, we focus our attention on him and our adoration is expanded or expansive. When we, when we talk about then the Lord in this prayer, he turns to his father and he says, the hour has come, glorify your son. Glorify your son. This is a time for bringing the attention upon your son. Is God worthy of our attention? Sure, all the time. But what was going on here? Jesus was at the pinnacle of the purpose for which he had come. He was right now within hours of the cross and within days of the resurrection. And the whole focus, the whole purpose of his being here was centered on the redemption of mankind through his work on the cross and the redemption as he was, we were declared right in his resurrection. And so the focus then of the, of the prayer is Father, he says, Father, the hour has come. It's time to glorify your son. This is the time when our focus centers not on what's going on in Jerusalem with the Passover, not with all the crowds, not with the trials, not with the betrayal. Now is the time to focus on the work of the Son. This is why it came. But he isn't done. He says that the Son may glorify you. Over and over, Jesus had said, I, I come to do what the Father has said, and we have made mention of that many times. Um, he says, this is what I want to do. I want to be obedient to the Father so that he gets the glory. So Jesus says, let the focus center on me now so that when I've accomplished the task, and my name is magnified, the magnification will also turn the attention to you of the master great plan and the fulfillment of redemption. And the word will go out worldwide through the centuries. He says, this is my desire. He says, since you have given him authority over flesh to give eternal life to all you have given to him. Given eternal life. I thought of John 1, 11 through 14. John, as he had introduced this book, of course, being an introduction, he had focused on the very things that this book covers, which is 
the ministry and the work of Jesus Christ. But listen to these words in John 1, 11 through 14. And he came into his own, and his own people did not receive him. But all who did receive him, who believed on his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And that's exactly what he has said here. He says, you've given authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Then he goes on and said, and the word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we have seen what? His glory. The glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, as he's talking here, was talking about glory. And I don't know what you think about when you think about glory, but my mind and heart was drawn to the Old Testament and to the story around Exodus. In Exodus 34, there have left, the Jews have left um, Egypt and they have crossed the, the Red Sea and they're now in the Sinai wilderness and they come to Mount Sinai and there is a call out to Moses to come out to the mountain and he's called up to to be there with God and in Exodus 34 29 and 30 it says when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of testimony in his hand as he came down the mountain Moses did not know that the skin of his face shown because he had been talking with God, Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near to him. He had been in the presence of God. They picked up on that, and his face shone, and Moses didn't even know it. Why? Because his focus wasn't on his face. His focus was on God. And having been in his presence, his face shone. But there is a passage that while that story gets to us, there's a passage in 2 Corinthians that I think is instructive here as we think about this high priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul is writing to the church there in Corinth and he's talking about what we have in Christ and he's talking about this new covenant through the, the work of the Spirit and he's talking about the letter kills and what he makes reference to then is the law that Moses had received on the mountain. What happened when he was up on the mountain? He got those tablets and when he came down, his face was shining, and the people said, whoa. 
Listen to what Paul's commentary on that was. And he says, Now the ministry of death, carved in letters of stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. He goes, what? What? What is he talking about? He says, what was the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law was to reveal to the people God's holy standard. And when man, Moses came down with the tablets and his face showed, the people said, I can't handle this. Glory is, is too much. And he ended up covering his face. But Paul says, this was a ministry of death. Why? We talk about the Ten Commandments as being a standard for living, and they are a holy standard, but they also present a great problem. They're impossible to keep. <laughs> They're a standard that demands perfection because God is perfect, and anybody who tries to keep it is only condemned. Doesn't receive life from it, is condemned because they don't match up with the holy standard of God. And, Mo and Moses' face was shining with glory, he says, which was being brought to an end. He said, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? He goes on. For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, that was the work of the law. He says the ministry of righteousness must exceed it in glory. He says the focus then moves off the holy requirement to the holy redeemer. What a beautiful picture. And he says, indeed, in this case, which once had glory, has come to have no glory at all. He says, you look at the holy, righteous standard of the law, and in comparison to the glory of Jesus Christ and the work of Jesus Christ, he says, they're incomparable. You can't compare them. This one is so much greater than the former one, and the former one, was enough for all the people of Israel to be shook and say, Moses, cover your face. So what is the glory of Jesus Christ like? Because the glory of it is surpassing. For if what has been brought to an end came with glory, much more what is permanent have glory. And we come back to this prayer, the prayer of Jesus to his father. He says, now is the time. The hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Turn your attention on me. Bring the focus down on me and what I'm about to do. And then let the, let the adoration begin. And when it happens, guess what's going to happen? It's going to go on beyond me out to you, Heavenly Father, who sent me.
can't hardly help. We're in the book of Philippians, after all, in Sunday school. To go to second, to go to the book of Philippians. And in Philippians chapter 2, this is what we read. Philippians 2, Jesus had, there's an outline of Jesus leaving heaven and all of its glory. He says, have this mind in, in, among yourselves, which was also yours in Christ. And in verse 6, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. What was he doing? He was enjoying the glory in heaven. He was getting the adoration. He was getting the praise. He says, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by being to the point of death even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord but there's no period there. He says, to the glory of God the Father. So the, the cycle of the prayer of Jesus is fulfilled out in the life and the work of Christ where the focus comes down on him and then it redounds or rebounds to the Father and the glory is shown there too. come back to this prayer in John chapter 17 Jesus is only getting warmed up here this is the opening salvo this is the opening prayer part of the prayer and he says I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do there's the focus of the glorification I'm come, I've done what you told me to do. He says, now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And we go, wow, well, what was that like? What was it like? Well, we don't have a lot of description throughout the Old Testament and up to this point. But the writer John here, who wrote this epistle, was also given a glimpse into heaven. And I invite you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapters 4 and 5 and the first part of 6, 
we see John caught up into heaven. So he gets to see something we don't get to see. At least not yet. And all of chapter 4 is John looking around in heaven and seeing what can be seen. And he sees the living creatures and the throne. He sees the crystal sea. He sees all this stuff. And he now is turning his focus right to the throne and who sits on the throne. And we see in verse chapter 4 and verse 8, four living creatures, each with us six wings, full of eyes around and within day and night. They never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And you go, that's what Jesus has left. And all you have to do is go back to Isaiah chapter 6. When the King Uzziah died and Isaiah got a glimpse into heaven, what did he see? These these beings around the throne saying, holy, holy, holy. And here we are. How long after that? And what's going on? More the same. Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty. We come to chapter 5 in the book of Revelation, though. And it says, And I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and, with, and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaim with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or on the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. He goes, can no one do this? No one on earth or above the earth or below the earth? No one can do this? And John said it made him weep. In verse 5 it says, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the Lamb of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Who is he talking about? Jesus. He's the one who's going to open the scroll. He's the one who has the ability to do so. And isn't it interesting that no one in, on earth or above the earth or below the earth could do this. And, and Paul had recorded in the book of Philippians that those above the earth and on the earth and below the earth are going to give praise to God and especially focus on his son. And he says, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right of him 
right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they began a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open the seals, for you were slain and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests of our God. And they shall reign on the earth. But he's not done. And he goes, and I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voices of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and in earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the living creature said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Jesus, in his high priestly prayer, had that in mind when he talks to the Father and he says, Glorify me with the glory that I had before all this began. And what's happening here in the book of Revelation exactly the fulfillment of the answer of that prayer, that he gets all the adoration, all the praise, and the focus again is turned to Jesus, and his name is magnified on the earth, under the earth, in the heavens above. And you go, well, pastor, what's the practical application of all this? And you go, are you kidding me? We serve a great God. We serve a, a glorious God who is willing to leave all of that for you and me. Well, next time you check your heart and it it's not over on the completely righteous side of your heart, you know, and it's dinging in the gray or darker parts of your heart, and you go, my, why would God do this? Because he loves you. How do we know? Weren't you paying attention? He's willing to leave all the glory and the accolades and the, and the holiness in heaven and come and sacrifice himself. How can any of us consider ourselves to be unimportant? <clears throat> Are we unworthy? Yes. Has he made us worthy? By his grace and his mercy. Yes. So Jesus is in the opening remarks of this prayer to the Father. And I want you to catch a glimpse of the background and the setting for this prayer because he's going to turn his high priestly attention to you and to me.
And he says, let's, let's set the table here. How is the table set? With glory spread all around. Focused on the work of Jesus Christ. And then magnified. What do we have even today? Do we have a glimpse into heaven like John had? Well, we can read about it. Haven't experienced yet. But we certainly can know that the name of Jesus, while it's used by some as a swear word, how can it be at all treated like that when we understand who he is, what he has done? So this prayer of the Lord, as he begins it, Jesus lifted up the eye, his eyes and he says, the hour is now come. He's about to go to the cross. His disciples will be put into disarray. They would see this from afar. They would try and get close to him in the trial and then stand off from him and they would be scattered. And, and after he passed away, they were wondering, what in the world do we do? And the work of God was steady and unfazed by their reactions. And he accomplished the task which he was called. And the father says, let's do what the son has asked. Let's glorify him. And the son says, and when I'm glorified, father, you be glorified. And we say, even in our prayers, Heavenly Father. Why? Because we have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous, who speaks on our behalf. And if anybody who knows what it was like to live as a human, he did. Know what it was like to be tempted, he was. Know what it was like to be obedient, well, we don't quite match up on that point, but he did, and he was glorified. And you know what? He says, if I go away, what? I'm going to come back to take you to be with me so that you will know this too. And that's our hope, <laughs> to experience firsthand, as we sang some of these songs, face to face, what will it be? We give praise to the Son and to the Father. Heavenly Father, we come with our adoration. We're thankful that in our hearts and minds for a few moments, the, the things of our life can be pushed to the side and we could take a moment or two to focus our attention on the work of your son, Jesus Christ, and the salvation he secured for each one of us. And we can join in the praise and adoration because by your grace, we have come to know Jesus Savior as Savior and Lord and you as our Heavenly Father.
you guys, both of you. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, we give praise and adoration. And may your name be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name.